Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information is provided as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Oliver's Insights podcast series where I'm going to have a chat about share markets. Of course that's been a hot topic this year on the back of rising inflation, rising interest rates and of course the risk of recession all against a backdrop of geopolitical risks. Now of course we saw those sharp falls that saw share markets fall globally more than 20% going into the lows in June. In Australia we came down about 16%. Since mid-June into mid-August, we saw a nice rebound. And uh, that, of course, took the US share market up 17%. Other global markets up a little bit less, but Japan was actually stronger. And, of course, the Australian share market rallied more than 10%. In other words, markets gave up just over half or around half of their losses, which was a good sign. The only problem is that the underlying problems around interest rates, inflation, recession, geopolitics, and so on, remained. And, of course, over the last month or so, we've seen share markets come under renewed pressure and that volatility has increased again, obviously reflecting concerns about the economic outlook. Now, of course, there's been a bunch of triggers for that. Of course, we've seen ongoing hawkish commentary from global central banks, particularly out of the Fed and also out of the ECB, more rate hikes across a range of central banks, and of course, more concerns about recession. In Australia, Central bank commentary has been a little bit more balanced, which I think is good to see, but uh, we're still facing higher interest rates. And of course, partly that uh, concern has been motivated by very high inflation numbers coming out globally, still rising in places like Europe, the UK, the US on a core basis. We saw some higher than expected numbers for the month of August, and those concerns are obviously feeding through to central bank commentary. So this is what's driving this renewed volatility, and I would have to say the risk for share markets in the short term is still on the downside. You can also observe that technically, and by technically I mean when you're looking at the underlying makeup of the market rebound and technical factors which go into things like charting and whether the market's overbought and oversold, if you look at the rebound in share markets that occurred since the June lows, it was mainly driven by, in many cases, defensive stocks. It wasn't the sort of cyclical leadership from share market sectors that you would normally see if we're going into a new bull market. The other factor, of course, is that company profits have been revised down. And most notably, recently in the US, we saw a downgrade or a profit warning from FedEx, which to some degree is a bit of a bellwether. And that, of course, uh, contributes to, to volatility in the last couple of days. So all of those things are weighing on markets. And I reckon the risk in the very short term is still on the downside. We are still in the September, October period, which is known for volatility and rough patches, even though we've got very low levels of investor sentiment, which is a good sign from a contrarian perspective. And ultimately, I think will help markets. It's arguably not at the extremes that often see market bottoms just yet. So short term risk is still on the downside. That said, I reckon there are a bunch of positives out there that are worth noting on a 12-month horizon. First one is that if you look at producer price inflation, and by producer price inflation, often referred to as PPIs, I mean upstream price indicators, raw materials, partially processed goods uh, that feed into the production process. In countries such as the US, the UK, China and Japan, this tends to be rolling over. 
In other words, upstream price pressures seem to be settling down. This is an indicator that we put together over the last little while called the Pipeline Inflation Indicator, which it tracks the direction of the US inflation rate or tries to lead it. And it's based on a bunch of things that relate to pipeline inflation pressures, such as business surveys. You know, those PMIs I've often referred to, surveys of purchasing managers in companies, basically business confidence and business condition surveys. They're also asked, what are your cost pressures like and what are your selling price pressures like? And interestingly, those surveys globally have shown a decline in price and cost pressures. We're seeing a decline in freight rates. We're seeing lower commodity prices, particularly outside of gas and coal. And some of the shortages that we're hearing about six, 12 months ago seem to be abating to some degree. In fact, in parts of the US, we're hearing more and more about a buildup of inventories, falling pricing power, companies having to start discounting again. Now, of course, that hasn't shown up in the data, but it is a positive sign. But it's all shown up in what I've referred to as our pipeline inflation indicator, having fallen for much of the last six months. And it would suggest that somewhere out there is quite a significant decline in US inflation. Now, I should point out that US inflation has tended to lead inflation hit Australia and Europe and other parts of the world by about six months. So if they start to fall, which I think they will, then we should see inflation in Australia start to fall later this year. Bear in mind, the peak at a headline level in US inflation was about 9.1% and that occurred a few months ago, around the middle of the year or the end of the first half. So that would be a good sign. If those pipeline inflation pressures continue to ease, that would point to lower inflation ahead, as would a slowdown in demand. Now, of course, we don't want the demand slowdown to be so much that causes a recession, and that's certainly a high risk, and that's a factor weighing on share markets. But if demand cools a little bit, it does take pressure off inflation as well. And we are seeing more signs of cooling demand. On top of that, if you look at some of the partial bits in the US that have driven that pickup in inflation. Earlier, you know, a big chunk of it was used car prices. Well, momentum in used car prices seems to be rolling over. Another bit more recently, as inflation in the US has shifted from goods to services, is a rollover in rental growth. And this is very important because rents drive two components in the US CPI. Obviously, rents, where people rent a property, and also owner's equivalent rent, which is the implied rent that a owner would pay on their property. And those two components comprise 33% of the US CPI. It's a massive amount. It's about a third of the US CPI is dominated by rents. And what we can see from a survey put together by Zillow is that asking rents for new rental leases has shown a distinct loss of momentum recently, which suggests that sometime in the months ahead, we should start to see a decline in rental growth in the US or showing up at the CPI's declining shelter inflation. So that would be very significant because as I said, it's about one third of the US CPI. On top of this, and this is another positive, we're seeing a decline in consumer inflation expectations. Now this is good news. It may seem somewhat esoteric, but a lesson from the 1970s is that if everyone expects inflation to remain out of control, then it will stay out of control because that will tolerate and demand higher prices and wages. Whereas if inflation expectations are under control, and particularly if they're falling, then that's good news. It should make it easier for central banks to get inflation back down because people are not behaving on the basis that inflation will stay up indefinitely. Particularly important is that you have seen a decline recently in shorter term inflation expectations, say three years, one year, still elevated, still at very high levels, but they have come off the highs both in the US and Australia. And most importantly in the US, they actually survey American consumers about what they expect inflation to be over the next five years or more. 
and it has shown a distinct slowdown from over 3% a few months ago to currently around 2.8%, which believe it or not is consistent with the history historical experience of the last few decades and therefore would be consistent with inflation down around the 2% target that the Fed is targeting. Another point is that money supply growth. For those monetarists out there who believe that the surge in inflation reflects the surge in money supply that occurred in 2020 associated with the pandemic support measures, we're now seeing that reverse, particularly in the US where money supply growth has slowed to a crawl. So just as uh, that uh, contributed to the surge in inflation, slower money supply growth could contribute to much slower inflation ahead. And just finally, and this one's an interesting one, coming into this year, I was concerned that we were coming into what you call a midterm election year in the US. The second year of the new president's term is typically a rough year in share markets. It's typically the weakest year, but it's also very weak if it coincides with the midterm elections, which it does every four years, in fact. So we've got a midterm election year. It is the second year of the president's cycle. That year in the four-year cycle tends to be associated with tighter monetary policy and midterm election years tend to be associated with volatility. In fact, if you look back historically, the average top to bottom fall in share markets during midterm election years since 1950 has been 17%. This year in the US from the high in January to the recent low, it's been 24% and we still don't know whether it's bottomed out or not. The worst occasion was back in the very high inflation period of 1974. The good news is, that uh, once the market makes a low, usually in the run-up to or just after the midterm elections, which as always fall in November, the subsequent 12 months sees an average gain, again since 1950, of 33%. So if you want to abstract from the issues around inflation and interest rates, focus on US political cycle, then what we've seen is not inconsistent with that. Very sharp downswing in terms of the markets and the run-up to it, and then you get a better period over the subsequent 12 months. As monetary policy eases and the US president does things, partly aimed at helping to get his party or himself re-elected in the subsequent year, which is the fourth year. So all of those things suggest there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, even though I must admit to being concerned about the share market outlook in the very short term. Bottom line is that while short-term inflation remains high, these considerations I think are consistent with the US having reached peak inflation and I think ultimately point to lower inflation ahead, which should enable central banks to slow down the pace of hiking by year end, hopefully in time to avoid a severe recession. Now, this doesn't mean that central banks, including the Fed and the Bank of England and at times the Reserve Bank, won't sound hawkish and won't keep raising interest rates in the short term, but it does suggest that somewhere out there in the next few months will be some cooling in that hawkishness. Maybe we're already starting to see a sign of that in Australia with more focus on the lags that monetary policy operates with and the realization that at some point they will need to slow down the pace of tightening. But that gives me some optimism that on a 12 month horizon, shares will probably do okay, even though the short term outlook is still very uncertain with a downside risk there. So I might leave it there. I hope this has been of some value. All the best until we meet again. Adios. Now to stay up to date from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favourite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon. But before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider taking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions.